how important it is that we see how God clearly gives doctrine here this morning. And we want to, of course, follow Scripture this morning like we do every Sunday. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, notice what the Bible tells us in verse number 21. In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, but not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them which that believe not, but for them which believe. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the leading of your word. God, how incredible it is that you lead us carefully and wonderfully through scripture. And God, I do pray that you would lead our hearts this morning. I pray that you would teach us this morning about the doctrine of clear communication, of doctrine truly that is given biblically and accurately in accordance to the word of God. And God, I pray that you would teach us now about this area of tongues. We've spoke on it, but God, as Paul speaks of the doctrine and the purpose of tongues, I pray that you would help us to understand, give clarity to your word, and may we truly continue, continue to rightly divide the word of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. This past year, all of us have struggled with one thing, communication. Why is that? Because of those stupid things called masks, amen. I remember we were at a shop recently. We were getting some meat. And there was a counter separating the man who was, of course, was preparing and getting the meat and me. But not only was there a counter separating, but there was also those clear plexiglass dividers. And then separating our mouths from one another was those mass things. And so I asked him for, uh, or asked him a question about some meat, and he said, and I'm like, okay, I don't understand this. I, so I asked loud, louder, because that's what you do. If you don't understand, you just talk louder. Just hope you could hear his answer more. It's just he needs to speak up louder. But um, so I asked louder. And he, again, and I was like, okay, what in the world are you saying? And so I asked once again, what? And again, it was a little more audible. It was, and I was like, okay, I'm still not getting this. So I moved my head from in front of the plexiglass to beside the plexiglass, put my head around the corner and listened with my ear as he then again began to speak. And finally, I could catch a few words to put together and piece together what he was saying and said, oh, okay, all right, that makes sense now. I couldn't understand him. It was unclear communication. 
And that gets frustrating when there's unclear communication. You know, the Bible tells us that God gives us truly clear communication through Scripture. And the Bible wants us to clearly communicate the truth to others. And what a blessing it is that God has given us His Word to clearly communicate the doctrine. And Paul here is going to clear up some things. He's going to clear up some mis. Uh, some doctrine that's been misinterpreted here. In the first 20 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, as we looked at last week, Paul was relaying a situation or relaying the status of where this church in Corinth was. There was a lot of confusion. Paul used the illustration of instruments that are playing like uh, like instruments that are playing too loudly and instruments that should be playing loud playing too soft and the notes are not together and everything was misconstrued and everything was disjointed it was chaotic it was troubling it was driving people away from the gospel as we'll see once again here in our text in just a few moments and Paul recognized this problem he understood that there was some unclear communication in, amongst the church regarding them speaking multiple languages, and yet people did not understand all the languages that were being un, or that were being spoken. And it was a chaotic time, and Paul was looking to bring order to this church. In order to do so, he reminds us of the doctrine of tongues. Don't miss this, please. If you truly struggle with maybe speaking to a Christian, I have family. I don't know if they're watching right now or not, but I have relatives that believe in this false gift of speaking in tongues that no one understands, including them nor God. It's devilish babbling. And I understand the difficulties of this, but if you want to help someone see the true doctrine behind this speaking of tongues god teaches us how does he teach us look at verse number 21 please in the law it is written with men of other tongues and other lips will i speak into this people and yet for all that they uh, will they not hear me saith the lord wherefore tongues are for a sign not to them that believe but to them that believe not paul here is quoting a portion of scripture found in isaiah hold your place there in corinthians go to isaiah please isaiah chapter 28 when you see the connotation and how paul puts this together it is truly an astounding understanding of scripture this morning isaiah chapter 28 look at verse number one with me we're going to walk up to this portion of scripture but I want you to get the context. I want you to see how Paul uses the context. He understands that this has been taught, that this is something that the Jews would have been very familiar with and have even traversed through in their ancestors and generations before. And so he understands that the people there would have understood the context here. And this is why he uses Scripture in this way. Look at verse number 1 as we traverse to where Paul taught the church in Corinth. Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim. 
Now, God uses this word Ephraim to describe the other ten tribes of Israel. Uh, Ephraim was the prominent one or the one that had authority among the children of Israel. And so that is why Isaiah addresses Ephraim, but it's talking about the other tribes of Israel. It's not talking about Judah or the Levites, uh, although there was some intermingling in there, of course. However, the tribes of Israel had been splintered or had been uh, or, or had been divided. And so Judah, of course, was over Jerusalem, and the Levites were with the, uh, were with the people of Judah, and then, of course, the other ten tribes were, uh, were living around, of course, in different areas around Jerusalem. And so he's speaking to the people of Israel. He's speaking to the Israelites, and notice what he says immediately. He says, woe to the crown of pride. He immediately addresses that the Israelites were very prideful people. They had come uh, very much uh, accomplished or very much comfortable with whom God said that they were. And God was something in which was more of a, of a good luck favor, if we could put it that way, or a charm. He was one that they would pull out and say, wait a minute, we, we, have, this, we have this trump card. We have this card we can play down all the time. We're children of Israel. We are children of God. God said he's going to keep us. God said he's going to give us this land. And this is the card in which we're going to play over and over and over again. They were very prideful in what they had done, even though they were away from God. They were worshiping idols, sacrificing their children. The Bible says that the kings of Israel were even ripping up women with children, uh, with child. In other words, pregnant women were being killed by the very kings of Israel. Horrible, despicable, abominable things before God. And the Bible says this was spoke of their pride. And the Bible tells us that that pride notice, led to a behavior among the children of Israel that was prominent. This prideful culture led to a society of drinking, of drinking alcohol. This drunkenness was a product of the pride of society. We can truly be very much understanding of that today, Because we likewise live in a very prideful society and it is exposed by the rampant drunkenness or the alcohol abuse in our society. It's very clear. It's very prominent. We could literally put our country right in this text right here this morning. It fits. We are prideful and because of our pride, We allow drunkenness to go on rampantly, and we'll see to the extreme in which it goes in just a moment. Notice how Isaiah continues to warn the children of Israel, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. He says, you were like a beautiful flower. He says, that was blossoming and God was blessing. But because of your pride and drunkenness, that flower is dying. It's like pouring poison over a beautiful rose or pouring poison over a beautiful flower and watching that flower wither and fade away. God says that that 
pride and drunkenness is removing your beauty and God is going to do something with it. What is he going to do? Look at verse number two. Behold, the Lord hath a mighty and strong one, which as a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters overflowing, shall cast down to the earth with a hand. What is God saying? God says, I'm going to bring a strong one. It's going to be Babylon, the king of Babylon. And the king of Babylon is going to come and he is going to be the strong one that is going to destroy you as the hail destroyed the, uh, uh, the crops in Egypt. He is going to cast you down. He is going to wash you away like a flood. He is going to take your pride that has been exalted above the earth and he's going to cast it down. He is going to bring your pride to complete humbleness and even to the grave isaiah is warning them your pride your drunkenness is going to bring the judgment of god god's been patient and oh how patient he was not just a year but hundreds of years he was so so patient with the children of israel and God says, it's come to a time. My mercy has come to an end. It is time for judgment. It is time for your pride to be humbled and you to recognize who you need. Notice what the Bible says in verse number three. The crown of pride, the, drunk, the drunkards of Ephraim. Again, here's the warning. Speaking of the condition that we spoke of. Shall be trodden under feet. And the glorious beauty which is on the head of the fat valley shall be a fading flower. And as the hasty fruit before the summer, which when he that looketh upon it seeth, while it is yet in his hand, he eateth it up. In that day shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty until the residue of his people and for a spirit of judgment to him that sitteth in judgment and for strength to them that turn the battle to the gate god is warning the israelites through the prophet isaiah judgment is coming you are going to be removed and in that day you are going to suddenly see how wonderful god looks at that moment when all of this is stripped away when people have lost their lives, when everything is destroyed, everything is carried out, all that you have worked for is washed away like a flood, you're going to look and say, I want that, God. I want the Lord. He's suddenly going to become a crown of beauty to you. He's suddenly going to be something that is going to be desirous to you, but he is not going to eliminate that judgment. The judgment is still going to happen. But in that day, you are going to want the Lord of hosts help. Suddenly, the Lord of hosts that helped through battle after battle after battle and generation after generation will suddenly be very desirous to you. And you are going to want him as judgment is pronounced on your magistrates and on your rulers those sitting in the courts, those sitting in offices are going to suddenly say, I want the Lord of hosts help here. I need his help. 
I want his help. I've rejected him and suddenly his help is going to look very good to you. Isaiah states, as he prophesies this judgment to the people of Israel, that you're going to want the Lord's help. You're going to want the Lord of hosts, speaking of his fighting name, and that's what the Lord of hosts speaks of. It's his battle name, if we can put it that way. You're going to want the word, you're going to want the battling hand of God or the or the Lord of hosts to be with you when the enemy comes at the gate and when you are trying to keep the enemy out and they are breaching through the gates and you cannot stop them, you are going to want the Lord of hosts' help. You're going to want God's help. But judgment will be there and it will come. Why? Is God going to allow this? Notice to the extreme of how the children of Israel had gone. Look at verse number 7 with me, please. But they also have erred through wine and through strong drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit and filthiness, so that there is no place clean. Isaiah said, you are so full of pride and drunkenness that it is seeped into the very church. It's seeped into the prophets, the priests. They are drunken. It would be like you coming into church on Sunday and I'm sitting behind my desk and you walk in and there's this foul smell immediately of vomit. You look at my desk and it's just covered in vomit and you say, Pastor, what's going on? And I push some of it away from out uh, with my hand and say, oh, don't worry about that. It's just from last night. That's where they were. That's how drunken and vile they were. Sick, prideful people. That's to the extreme of the children of Israel. Why is God so hard with drunkenness and pride? Because pride leads one to drink. There is a sign that I pass nearly every day, literally right around the corner from where we live there's a pub and on the side of this pub it says you have 99 problems and beer solves all of them there are so many times brother Stu, that i want to take some paint and i want to graffiti all over it proverbs isaiah 28 there's so many times i want to do it but that's not right to do But I want to. Every fiber of my being just wants to write, this is the biggest lie. One of the biggest lies you could ever fall for. Why? Because pride, not wanting to humble oneself, moves one to drink, and drinking does so many things. If you look at the book of Proverbs, there are so many things. But can I point three things out quickly this morning that it leads to? First of all, it leads to immorality. 
God says it enables or it brings a man to suddenly open one's eyes and look upon a strange woman. God is speaking to the leaders and to the men and saying, look, it causes you to be immoral and you don't even know it. But that's also not dismissing ladies. It's not dismissing women either. For those women also deceived through drunkenness moves them to do that which is strange which means out of character which means out of proper behavior which means out of a right attitude or a right spirit it moves them to do things that are out of their very character as well it's not just on the men it's on the women as well it moves to immorality the bible tells us it reveals one and it shows the lack of ignorance The Bible says they wake up wondering what is going on. In other words, they don't know what's taking place. It takes knowledge and it removes it. And that is a scientific fact. You can do a study on it. I encourage you to do so. But alcohol is proven to kill brain cells. It causes you to have problems with memory. It causes you to have problems with recollection. It, pro- it, 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 it prohibits one from being able to be what God wants one to be. It is a destroyer of the mind. It causes one to be immoral. It causes one to truly to act out in ways that they do not recognize and to not even know where they are going. And thirdly, it is also a way to justify one's actions. The Bible tells us that a drunken man will then go and justify why he can go back to that very thing. The Bible calls it like a dog returning to his vomit. That's a graphic picture that, Paul, that, uh, uh, that Solomon gives. But Solomon gives that to help us to understand that even a dog will justify the reason for his own eating of his vomit. And a man who, or a woman who is bent on drinking and a society in which we live in, how much do they justify it? Just like that sign, 99 problems and beer solves all of them. What is it saying? I can justify it because it masks the problem for a time. But my friends, it does not cover or deal with the problem. It simply masks it and it compounds it and it strengthens the problem. It truly is a justification to sin and that leads into other areas. For after all, once one goes into immorality and drunkenness, you now have to be able to figure out how to cover it up if you want to keep that sin hidden. And that's what the children of Israel did. That's why there was so much immorality and that's why there was so much worship of even idols because after all, when you do something immoral with another woman and a child is born, what are you going to do with this baby? And that is where sacrificing children to gods became a reality because it was their form of abortion i don't want to deal with this problem i don't want to deal with my sin and so i'm going to cover it up by justifying my worship of a false god and give that child as a burnt sacrifice to try to cover and to ease my sin just one of many many things they could come up with but it was one of the reasons and it is a justifying matter in which one begins to figure how to cover up sin 
And this wasn't just in the people who were struggling in society. It was going all the way up to the preachers and teachers of society. It was in every part of society. We're there today. We don't call abortion Baal worship, but that's what it is. A lot of justifying of sin because we enjoy masking the problem when truly the problem, God says, if you cover your sin, you shall not prosper. God tells us that it's better to get it right and get it dealt with, and God can then show mercy if he so chooses. Isaiah is painting a picture here. And again, we can substitute Ephraim for England, and it fits. This is as relevant today as it was 2,000 plus years ago. It's amazing how relevant God's word is. But notice to the extreme that their justification led. To, led. Look at verse number 9. Whom shall he teach knowledge? Here's the response of the children of Israel. Why are you teaching us this? This is basic stuff for us. Don't you know who we are? Don't you know my title? Don't you know how I stand in authority in this area? Don't you know who I am? Why are you teaching me? You have nothing to teach me. In fact, I don't want what God teaches me. We'll see that in just a moment. But they were in a, they were in a stand of, you have no right of coming to me. You can't teach me the word of God. You can't teach me the simple, clear truth of Scripture. Don't you dare. Notice... He says, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. He says, look, he says, even the things that you're trying to teach me, we know this already. This is like baby stuff to us. This is type of stuff that we would give to our children. This is, we're way past this. We understand so much more than this. But what did God say he was doing? Look at verse number 10. For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Isaiah said God over and over and over again came to you and tried to teach you simply, clearly, lovingly, truthfully, and practically through the clear communication of Scripture. But you rejected it. You said, that's baby stuff. Why are you coming to me with this? I'm beyond the Word of God. I've grown past Scripture. I don't need Scripture anymore. I don't need to stand in that place. For I have excelled past this through pride and drunkenness. I don't need those things any longer. And you're coming at me with this baby truth of Scripture? Why are you coming to me with this communication? Come to me with something that's more advanced. That was their rebuttal to the clear communication of God. 
I'm past this. I've grown beyond the Word of God. Let me just simply state, there is no man, woman, or child on this earth that has grown past the Word of God. I don't care who they say they are. I don't care what place of authority they are. No man, woman, or child is past authority of the Word of God. No one. It is clear. It is simple. God gives it to us clearly. The Word of God is not written on a complex level. It's given on a basis of which a child can understand. Oh, yes, there's mysteries in it. I'm not going to discount that. There are portions of Scripture where I study and 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 I I say, God, you're going to have to teach me this one day. (laughs) It has some great truths that are mysteries that we're going to find out one day and are yet to be revealed. But the Word of God is rich, quick, and powerful and practical for the youngest child to the oldest adult. It is relevant and practical for all. And the children of Israel were doing what? Rejecting it. Don't come at me with Scripture. And here is where 1 Corinthians 14.21 comes in. Amongst this time of judgment, here is where we see Paul quote. Look at verse number 11 in Isaiah 28 with me. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. To whom he said, This is the rest wherewith we ye may cause the weary to act, and this is the refreshing Yet they would not hear. Isaiah says that the judgment of God is going to come upon you by what? Of course, they're going to lose life, their own property. They're going to be humbled. But the Bible tells us that the judgment is going to come in a form of what? Of stammering. Go back to verse number 11, if you would, David. Stammering there speaks of foreign jabbering. In other words, it's seeing lips move, hearing sounds come out, but you have no idea what is being stated. It speaks of what? A foreign language. And yet another tongue. Again, speaking of another language. So here is how God introduced tongues in the Word of God. He did so by judgment. He says tongues is a judgment of God exposing one's pride and drunkenness and one's refusal to accept the Word of God. And tongues was a clear judgment of God upon the unbelieving Jews humbling them in a way in which that clear communication that God wanted them to have from His Word would be told to them in a language in which they did not understand at the moment. It was a sign of judgment. It was a sign of a judgment upon the people of unbelief so that they would desire to come to the simplicity of God's word once again. Look at verse number 13 in Isaiah. 
But the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. God said, my word is still going to come to you even though judgment is going to take place. And that word in which you ridiculed is going to break you. It is going to cause you to be broken in pride and you are going to be humbled. You are going to be snared. You are going to be taken. Israel will be destroyed. Israel will be taken captive. And the word of God will be desired eventually one day but it was a form of judgment judah and israel would follow this very path as isaiah continues and we're not going to read the rest of it for sake of time this morning but israel or but judah and israel judah and jerusalem would follow this very same process and they too would go into captivity because of their pride and of their drunkenness that they were following after Israel. This was a warning for all Jews, all unbelieving Jews. Now, let's take this concept of tongues being a judgment upon God, or from God, among unbelieving Jews, and see how it's applied in the New Testament. Go to the book of Acts, please, if you would, here this morning. Please don't lose me here this morning. Again, we're teaching doctrine. This first two verses we're going to be looking at mostly this morning. Um, And then just going to highlight the following verses. Um, And so this is the meat of the the message this morning. Look at uh, Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we find Jerusalem. Jerusalem has done what? They have rejected Christ. Who is Christ? He's the word of God. They rejected him so vehemently that they crucified the innocent and pure word of God, Jesus Christ himself, the son of God. They crucified him. This was a city that was full of what? Unbelieving Jews. Were there some believers there? Yes. But there was a multitude of unbelieving Jews who were advocating the crucifixion of Jesus Christ rejecting whom the word of god look at verse number four with me please and they were all filled with the holy ghost speaking of the believing christians the believing jews and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance and there were dwelling at jerusalem jews devout men out of every nation under heaven Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we are born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia uh, in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and the strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in what? Doubt. 
saying one to another, notice what the immediately they went to. What meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new what? Wine. Where do we hear that before? Isaiah 28. Tongues was a judgment upon God upon the drunkenness of the Jewish people. And as God was pronouncing judgment upon the Jewish people, he used tongues as a form of this. And those who knew scripture said these men must be drunken and God's pronouncing judgment upon them. That was their explanation. That was immediately their mindset of going to this is a judgment of God. And it was but not in the way in which the Jews meant it, that were mocking. God was bringing judgment upon the unbelieving Jews, saying, look, you crucified Jesus Christ. And did not Peter, as he, continue, uh, as he began preaching in the following verses, saying, look, you rejected God. You rejected the word of God. You rejected Jesus Christ. You crucified him, but he is the Savior. He was the Messiah. He was the one that you were looking for, and you rejected him. Would you accept him? And what happened? 3,000 people came to know Christ as their Savior. This was a judgment of God upon the unbelieving Jews that, three, uh, that turned and chastised the heart of at least 3,000 people. And those people got saved and became children of God because they recognized the judgment of God and said, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. And said, we need to receive Christ as Savior. And they got saved. This was a judgment upon Jerusalem. And yet a powerful sign of what God was wanting to do. And we'll see that in just a moment. But it was first and foremost a judgment upon the unbelieving Jews. Now, go to Acts chapter 10, please. In Acts chapter 10, we see the church, God's people, that were being chastised and were being redirected, if we could put it this way, to go into all the world the disciples still had this prejudice about them that only the jews were to hear the gospel even though god says you're going to go into all the world they still were hesitant about this they didn't want to take it to the gentiles and we see that in acts chapter 10 when when god comes to peter in a uh, in a vision and teaches peter through this vision that what god hath cleansed call not thou unclean god says i want you to go to the gentiles and he was leading in circumstance because there was a gentile man named cornelius who sent some men to go to uh, peter and to bring him to uh, uh, to him so that he could hear cornelius could hear the gospel of jesus christ he could know god himself and notice the bible says in verse number 44 and while yet uh, while peter yet spake these words the holy ghost fell on them as he preached to cornelius a gentile the holy ghost fell on them which heard the word and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with peter because that on the gentiles also was poured out notice the gift of the holy ghost for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. 
Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Peter goes and he teaches the Gentiles the gospel of Christ. The Jews did not believe at this point that the gospel truly was for the Gentiles as well. They were still resistant of this. They were rejecting that truth that Jesus Christ taught them to go into all the world. They were rejecting this. And God used this gift of tongues or this manner in which they began to speak with another language out of the power or out of the uh, utterance of the holy ghost to what to bring judgment or chastisement if we can put it that way upon peter and upon those with him to recognize that they did not believe what god told them to do and that god was chastising their unbelief for getting the gospel to the Gentile people. This was a moment in which was a chastisement upon the Jews present with Peter that God wanted the Gentiles to also hear the gospel of Christ. And notice in Acts chapter 11, when Peter gets back, he's met with what? Resistance. I don't believe God said that. How dare you state that about what God gave you instruction to do? Peter, I don't believe you. And so what did Peter do? Look at verse number 15 of Acts chapter 11. And as I began to speak, Paul or Peter recounts what happened with Cornelius. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them and as on us at the beginning he recalls the disciples mind to what to the time in which god gave a sign of judgment upon the people of jerusalem he recalls that moment notice that Bible says, then remembered i the word of lord how that he said john indeed baptized with water but ye shall be baptized with the holy ghost for as much then as god gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on lord what was i that i could withstand god he was saying God did the exact same thing in, uh, 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 with Cornelius that he did with us at the beginning of Jerusalem. Just like he used that sign to give reconcile to the unbelieving Jews that there was judgment coming and they repented of this, God gave them that same sign to what to impact my heart that i did not believe the gentiles needed salvation but god has reconciled in my heart that they do need the gospel as well so what was this a moment of this was a moment of chastisement of getting unbelieving jews that believed in the gospel but did not believe the gentiles should have the gospel to do what to preach the gospel to every creature as god instructed them to do this was a moment of chastisement upon peter notice now in acts chapter 19 please once again and again we're just going through scripture here this morning paul meets some uh, paul meets some disciples these were all jews these are men that follow john the baptist we don't have time to look at all the context you can go back and you can read and study Acts 19 here uh, uh this afternoon but here john uh, he meets these men near ephesus 
that did not believe Jesus is the Savior. They followed John the Baptist, but did not yet believe in Jesus Christ as, uh, as Savior. Paul tells them about Christ, and they get saved. And when they got saved, notice what the Bible says in verse number 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy, Ga- the Holy Ghost excuse me, came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So what happens? Again, these Jews who were unbelieving put their faith and trust in Christ and God gave them a sign of judgment of saying, look, this was true. You rejected Christ. You did not believe in Christ, even though John the Baptist pointed you to Christ. And now I'm going to give you a sign of what would have happened if you would have not have put your faith and trust in Christ. It was a sign of judgment. It was a sign of God showing his judgment upon them if they would have rejected Christ. You see, the basis for tongues upon it, it, throughout the word of God is judgment upon those who do not believe. It is warning them of things of what is to come. That is the primary message of tongues. It is judgment upon the Jews. There is a secondary part of it. In Joel chapter 2, listen, and you can read it on the script screens with me if you want to. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids. In those days will I pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that who shall call the name of the Lord shall be delivered for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord has said and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call God was would secondarily use tongues as a way to show once again that he was for what was taking place yes it was primarily a judgment but it was also a sign it was also a means to state God is for this and that's why Peter used Joel chapter 2 as he spoke through tongues to a multitude of languages speaking one language and many people hearing in many different languages god used that to say look god's is for what is taking place of showing people who do not believe the gospel of christ and god is using these tongues using this to prophesy and to help people see the truth about scripture you see the new testament has no more to say about tongues after the book of Acts, other than where we're looking at in Corinthians. As the church became increasingly Gentile, and as the Jewish nation settled down into a persistent rejection of both Christ and the Holy Spirit, and became active in persecuting the church and maligning its apostles and prophets, so the clay of Jewish unbelief hardened. Tongues became increasingly irrelevant. Judgment now could not longer uh, could not long be delayed. Most of the epistles ignore tongues altogether. At Corinth, the tongues thing was much ado about nothing. Tongues were a sign, a judgment sign, a judgment sign to the Jews, a judgment sign to the unbelieving Jews, and that was it. And so we go back to verse number 22 of our text in 1 Corinthians 14. And this is why 
Paul stated this, Wherefore tongues are for a sign. Not to them that believe, but to them that what? Believe not. We just saw that in Scripture. We just walked through Scripture. Tongues was a sign to the unbelieving Jew. That's all it was. To show them the judgment of God and to give them once again another opportunity to repent, to turn and come to Christ. Now, let's transition to the last part of this verse here. Again, that was the meat of the message. These next two points are just going to be very, very quick here. Look at verse number 22, the last part. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Prophecy was for the believers as God finished giving the canon or the whole of Scripture. Believers would be edified or built in Christ and grow in the relationship with God. Prophecy was there to help the believers grow. You see, there were truths about the Christian life that there are truly truths, many truths in Scripture that make sense to a child of God, but they do not make sense to the world. It doesn't make sense to the world to gather on church on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. It doesn't make sense. Why would you do that? I've got so many things else I could do. I could work in the garden. I could work in the garage. I could go to a park. I could take my family. This. Why would I take my time and come to It doesn't make sense to the world. But to the child of God, we know that we gather together. Why? To get edified, to be built in the Word of God and strengthened through Scripture. We understand that it's important for us to encourage one another and to strengthen one another and to encourage one another to go and to tell the gospel of Jesus Christ. We understand the importance of Scripture or the importance of church, but to the world it doesn't make sense. And that's what Paul is speaking of, prophesying service. As you speak and as you give Scripture, it serves them, not to those who believe not, but to them which believe. It helps and it strengthens the church. What a blessing it is that we come to church truly to get strengthened and to encourage to go out and to charge hell with a squirt gun, uh, as the saying goes. I forget who said that. Maybe it was Tom Ballone or someone. I forget what it was, uh, but used to say that statement all the time. And uh, we get charged, we get energized, and uh, we go out ready to tell people the gospel of Christ because of the encouragement we see. And truly, it's a moment in which we have an opportunity to edify and encourage one another And as unbelievers do come because they see a difference among those who come to church, God tells us that that could inspire or spark a desire for them to know the truth of Scripture. It's that... Uh, it's what psalm says when taste and see that the lord is good it's looking at god and saying god your word is incredible how wonderful it's changed my heart and life i see that you're good and i want the world to have it and as some come in and see that do not believe in scripture believe the word of god and yet see the lives that are changing and reflecting christ himself it draws it is an encouragement it inspires one to taste of the goodness of God and say, I want more of that. How can I know Christ? 
Look at verse number 23, please. As Paul teaches, lastly, the clear practice of doctrine. Look at verse number 23. And therefore, the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers. Notice this statement. Will they not say that ye are mad? Paul, again, summarizes what we spoke in of last week, and I'm not going to rehash that, but to recall our minds, if there was a, if people came into church, and I was speaking Japanese, uh, uh, John was speaking Scottish, and uh, John was speaking uh, an African tongue, and uh, David was speaking German, and Stu was speaking French, and, uh, uh, and Steve was speaking in Swahili somewhere, and we're all gathering together, and we're all speaking in all these different languages. People were going, y'all are crazy, y'all are mad. This doesn't make sense to me. But also those, notice it says unlearned or unbelievers. The unlearned would look and say, this is chaos. This doesn't make it, why am I even here? But the unbelievers, those who know scripture but do not believe in Christ and know the reason for tongues like those people in the first century would say, ye are mad. Why? Because you are promoting a judgment of God among a believing group of believers. Why would you do that? That doesn't make sense. Why would you promote the judgment of God among a group of people who are believing together that Jesus is Christ? Does that make sense at all? It is madness. It doesn't make sense. And this is what Paul was exposing. He was teaching the church, you need to do so orderly. And he'll continue admonishing them. But notice how he transitions as he speaks of the practice of doctrine. If you practice tongues, you're taking it out of context. It's confusing. Don't do this. Then he comes to verse number 24. But if all prophesy, in other words, people are speaking and encouraging and teaching the canon of Scripture, and there come in one that believeth not or one unlearned, notice he is convinced of all. He is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Someone comes in that does not believe the word of God, that does not believe in Jesus Christ at that moment, or is learning, maybe has just put their faith and trust in Christ, and comes in and sees a church that is teaching the truths of Scripture. Paul says an unbeliever might come in and see something, see what, and hear what the word of God is stating, and the Scripture begins having its work in their heart. The Holy Spirit begins to convince him of truth, convict his heart of sin. He realizes he needs a Savior. He repents and gets saved and then testifies that what you taught in truth is indeed truth. In other words, he gets saved and says, what these people are stating is true. The gospel works. You can put your faith in Jesus Christ because the truth of Christ is truth indeed. Paul says when you speak the truth of Scripture, 
God uses that not only to encourage the brethren, but it encourages those who are still learning in Scripture, and it also encourages those who do not yet trust in Christ to taste and see that the Lord is good. It gives opportunity for the power of God to work. But if you're focusing on speaking all these different languages, it's not going to have its work. It's not going to be effective. Paul knows truly that the testimony of the church worshiping in an organized manner is vitally important to the believers and unbelievers as well. A godly testimony opens the door to show others the gospel and enables the children of God to grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God wants a church to be clear in its communication. Why do we speak English here? Because we're English-speaking people. Will we ever get up and begin speaking in an unknown language? No, we won't. Because that's chaos. That's unclear communication. And we want it to be clear. And if we ever have a missionary or someone come in from, uh, that speaks a different dialect or a different language, we will what? We'll have an interpreter. We'll have someone who can concisely teach us and edify us through the Scripture of the Word of God. It's important because we don't want people to be driven away from the gospel. We want people to be drawn to the gospel. And Paul pictures that and teaches us the doctrine behind it. It's very important that we know what we believe and why we believe it. So important. Context is so vitally important in Scripture. And Paul here gives us Scripture, gives us context. We've seen it this morning. Let me ask you this morning. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you heard the gospel in English. You heard it clearly this morning that Jesus saves. He came for you. Would you put your faith and trust in Him? There's no greater choice than knowing you are a child of God. I'm so glad at the age of five I came to know Jesus as my Savior. It's a day I've not forgotten. A day I never regretted. You will not regret that day as well if you don't know Christ. If you do know Christ, may I encourage you to follow Scripture. Follow the Word of God. Oh, how wonderful it is. It changes lives. And what a wonderful power God gives to His Word. It is edifying to us. It builds us up. But it won't build us up if we don't speak it in a manner in which we understand. Clear communication is important. It clears everything up. Father, I pray that you